Good morning, church family. I am Jack, a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I struggle with grief, people-pleasing, and resentment from a broken relationship. I first heard about Celebrate Recovery from our friends Gary and Carol. I thought for many years that Celebrate wasn't for me since I never had alcohol or drug addictions and had not suffered from any abuses in my lifetime. Even though I had struggles, I didn't think I was one of those people that needed Celebrate Recovery. Wow, was I wrong. Once I saw the list of issues our church family struggles with in a July 2015 church service, I realized that some of these were actually hurts, habits, or hang-ups that I struggled with and that Celebrate Recovery was about a lot more than just addictions or abuse issues. My eyes were finally opened, and I realized that I needed to honestly admit my struggles and to do something about them. After much prayer and discussions with my wife, Mary, we decided to investigate more what Celebrate was really about. On August 7, 2015, we attended our first Celebrate Recovery meeting and thus began our Celebrate Recovery journey. Although it seemed scary at first, the opportunity to share my hurts, habits, and hang-ups in a safe and non-judgmental environment allowed me to be more vulnerable and honestly admit my struggles. With God's help, I have been able to openly deal with and share my issues and begin the road to healing and recovery. As I learned early, only God can lead me in the road to recovery, and I have to turn control of my life over to Him and allow Him to change me. Trying to do it on my own has not and will never lead me to true recovery. Recovery is a a one-day-at-a-time process that takes time and effort, but has resulted in much relief and freedom and allowed me to develop many very close and trusting friendships. Attending the first meeting was a little scary, not knowing what to expect and knowing that by showing up, I was already announcing that I had issues that needed dealt with. I knew I had to trust God to get me through this first meeting. Once there, I was welcomed and received encouragement from all attending. The first share group I attended, I just listened and found myself praying silently to myself for those sharing, whose stories seemed so much worse than mine. Once I was brave enough to share, I found much relief and a type of freedom I had never experienced. My hurt that I had planned on sharing about first was a resentment from a broken relationship. <clears throat> Once I found the freedom to share, I was dealing with grief over the death of our daughter, and that needed to be dealt with first. I was able to share my hurt without judgment and with people who just listened. I also learned from others sharing that I actually struggled with and was a people pleaser that had affected many of my relationships in the past, many not in a positive way. With God's help in continuing and celebrate weekly meetings, I was able to identify the, identify the how and why of being a people pleaser and begin the healing process to improve my relationships with others. My grief has not and will never be gone, but sharing about it has provided a level of healing I don't think I would have found elsewhere. It has also made me realize that my sharing can and has helped others deal with their hurts, habits, and hang-ups. 
it has truly been an enlightening and rewarding healing experience. After attending Celebrate, I recognized there could be more hurts, habits, and hang-ups that I struggled with, and the only true way to deal with them and obtain healing is to admit them and begin the recovery process with God's help. I know I originally told myself that my hurt, habit, or hang-up isn't that bad, and I can take care of it on my own. One of the first things I learned to celebrate, that if I still have the hurt, habit, or hang-up, I obviously can't take of it, take care of it on myself, by myself, and that the seriousness or severity of the hurt, habit, or hang-up should not be the determining factor in seeking healing and recovery. The fact that I acknowledge that the hurt, habit, or hang-up exists should lead me to pursue healing and recovery that only with God's help can I obtain. Remember, it is not about the seriousness or severity, but the fact that the hurt, habit, or hang-up exists. I have experienced God's healing and help on my own journey, and I've seen many others who have and can continue to experience the healing of their hurts, habits, and hang-ups by participating in Celebrate Recovery. As we say and celebrate, God never wastes a hurt, and it works by God's power if you work it and keep coming back. Two of my favorite verses from Celebrate are Matthew 5, 3, and 4. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Dave King. Been a Windsor roadie since 1985, and uh, glad to be here. Thanks again, Jack, for sharing. Uh, this morning, we're going to look uh, at, at a story of Israel, um, their struggle, and God's attempt to reach out to them through the prophet Jeremiah. So we'll be uh, looking at Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6 here in a minute. Um, Specifically, it's the, the parable or the, the, the story of the potter and the clay. And you'll see from the outline, the, the, the message outline, that we're going to focus on the message, the metaphor, and then the maker and me. But before we do that, it's probably good to get some perspective on the passage in, in the book as a whole. And, and I'll start that off by saying, I am not an Old Testament scholar. I don't know Hebrew. Not a lick of it. None. Um, why else would I pick a passage, the commentator says, um, about the book of Jeremiah, that it's long, complex, and difficult? Why would I do that? Um, and it becomes immediately evident, you know, when I was preparing for this message, because um, my initial thoughts were, this is going to be great. Um, we're going to talk about how we're all clay. We're going to talk about how God's the potter and he reshapes us and remakes us for his purposes. This is going to be awesome. I, in fact, I think I can even work in some lyrics from Switchfoot. <laughs> you know, where the light shines through uh, is where the light finds you, right? Our wounds is where the light shines through. Our wounds is where the light finds you. So I did. I worked them in, but it had nothing to do with the message in some respects. Um, because I learned, you know, in some Bible study, right, that context is everything. So you have to com consider the immediate context, the con context, you know, before and after, and then the greater context, and 
so on and so forth. So, um, you know, I'm thinking this is going to be a, a story about God making us out of clay and pots and so on. And then you read in the next chapter where, you know, God tells Jeremiah to go get a clay pot and smash it. I thought, well, that uh, really isn't, uh, um, you know, going to depict maybe the message that I was intending. Um, but the truth is, is that that's the point of the passage. The point of the passage is to warn Israel about impending disaster um, that they will face, that God will bring upon them if they don't repent. I mean, what was I thinking to choose a scripture? <laughs> so much for a message of hope and God never wasting a hurt. And I'm not saying, by the way, that God doesn't remake us because we're all new creations. And there is hope in this passage and in the book of Jeremiah. So why don't we read uh, together from Jeremiah 18, and it's found on page 646 in your uh, Bible. I still want to call it a pew Bible. We've never had pews here, I don't think. So it's in the uh, chair in front of you on page 646. The potter and the clay. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done? declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. So here's the big idea. It's not complex. I am the clay. He is the potter. In his hands, great things await. In mine, not so much. I'm the clay, he is the potter. In his hands, great things await. So if you look at the message, and in some translations it'll say another message, right? This was not the first time that Jeremiah had spoken to the nation of Israel. Uh, in fact, it wasn't the first prophet that God had used. So the nation of Israel was about to hear another message from God, delivered, them through, delivered to them through Jeremiah, and as they had been warned previously, through Isaiah, through Elisha, through Elijah, and others, um, they weren't very receptive. In fact, you know, the message was simple. Return from your rebellious ways, repent or calamity is certain. Israel didn't like the message and, in fact, considered how they could kill Jeremiah. Again, you can immediately see some of the New Testament parallels with that. A disaster did befall Israel. All words from the book of Jeremiah, they were uprooted, they were exiled, they were occupied, they suffered pain, agony, and anguish. 
the children of Israel had their own agenda. Once they had made their plans, there was little hope of getting them to submit to God's will. And their stubbornness had really created a kind of spiritual amnesia. They had forgotten God. They had forgotten what he had done for them. They had forgotten who he was and is. Over and over, God reached out to his people to steer them back on course. Jeremiah 6 talks about that God stood at the crossroads and he mapped out the best plan for his people, but they decided to take a shortcut. While you were doing all these things, I spoke to you again and again. You would not listen. I called you and you did not answer. Jeremiah 3, 6 describes how the nation of Israel went about doing these things. They went up on every high hill. publicly displaying, in a sense, their refusal to follow God. They blamed God. And it wasn't just denial, it was disregard for God. Their rejection of God's offer of grace and mercy was stubborn and irrational, and ultimately it was accompanied with hostility. You know, God says in Jeremiah 13, They were to be my people, my pride, my glory, and honor to my name, but they would not listen to me. They didn't listen, they didn't pay attention, they were stubborn, they were stiff-necked, day after day. They went backward, not forward. That's the message for Israel. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read the Old Testament, I think that's a really good story about them. Um, And it's really a story about us. Israel's story is our story. It's an old, old story. We've had our own agendas. We've taken shortcuts. We've been stumbled. We've gone up on every high hill. And we've done what's right in our own eyes, one way or the other. Many years ago, um, you know, my oldest daughter will be 28. So many years ago, you know, I was, uh, I don't know what I was doing. She was sitting in front of the TV watching Fred Rogers. You all know who Fred Rogers is, right? Those of you who don't need to learn who Fred Rogers is. Yes, I'm talking to you folks that are younger. Yeah. Well, you know, Fred Rogers had, you know, a show. And you can picture Fred Rogers in his sweater. Benevolent, caring, and kind. And he would sing a song, right? Which I'm not going to do. But he would sing a song that would say, Won't you be, won't you be my neighbor? And shortly after that, Song, I heard my daughter, who was very young at the time, say this I don't want to be your neighbor. (laughs) We've been stubborn and flat out said, We don't want to be your neighbor. And that's kind of powerful if you think that God wants to indwell us, right? 
the problem isn't with God. We've edged God out. Our egos. They take up space. They inflate our view of self. We don't let Him in. We believe we are self-made. That we're self-improved. And we're self-sustained. We fill up our lives with stuff. And just as Jeremiah said to Israel, it's true of us. They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. In recovery, we you know, have different phrases and slogans and things. And one of them you know, it says, if we do what we always did, we'll get what we always got. It's true. But if you think about it, I mean, it assumes that we only repeat what we always did. And if you read through the book of Jeremiah, Israel didn't always do what they always did. They actually did worse things. It got worse. Um, Israel did, and so do we. And Jeremiah 7, 9 says that no commandment remained unbroken. So in spite of increased consequences, we continue in our hurts, habits, and hang-ups in spite of them. And, you know, Jack had them listed during his, his faith story, and those hurts, habits, and hang-ups are, there they are, um, they're taken from you. I mean, several years ago, we, we just asked you to write down your struggles, and then we categorized them. And these are them. I mean, they look different on this screen and that, whatever you call those things, but they're your struggles, my struggles. If we could have fixed them on our own, we would have already done that. And as I read through this passage of the potter and the clay in Israel, I reflect on my own spiritual journey and the similarities I share with them. 1977, I was at Bible college. 1978, I wasn't. That was because of my addiction. And in 2017, here I am. I'm reminded that I have to recognize the condition of my heart and life. That I have to acknowledge that only God can restore me. And I turn my will over to him each day, asking for knowledge of his will for me and the power to carry that out. You see, God cares too much about us to be indifferent. And Jeremiah, he pleads with God for some form of judicial sentencing. And if you read the other prophets, they kind of get fed up with Israel, with us. You know, it's kind of like, look, we've warned him, we've talked to him enough already. Just, you know, squash him. And if you've seen the movie The Matrix, um, which I have, um, this is not going to be like the oracle in that movie. You know, I mean, God's not going to be smoking a cigarette and say, I'm sorry, kiddo, I really am. You have a good soul, and I hate giving good people bad news. That's just not how it's going to roll. 
And so that's how we get the potter and the clay. Again, God's um, attempt and effort to reach out to Israel and to us. So in the metaphor about the potter and the clay, we have to put that in the context of the book of Jeremiah because there's actually numerous metaphors, not just the potter and the clay. In fact, there's symbolism with Jeremiah in the sense that he mirrors God's experiences. He wasn't married, he had no children, he was alone, he weeps, he's sad, he's sorrowful. All things that God feels and experiences as a result of the separation with his people. So it's not just about the potter and the clay. One of the primary metaphors is relational, the marriage relationship. Jeremiah describes Israel as, in, in Jeremiah 5-7, as lusty stallions, legal scoundrels, and in 9-23, that our tongues are as bows and arrows. But in this particular metaphor of the potter and the clay, we see that God is merciful and righteous. It's not just a simple analogy a cute metaphor that can be used in Christian marketing that we put on coffee cups and wall hangings. The reality is God is God and we are not. That's the reality. And if you look at the, the purpose and the process of this, of this metaphor, and I've never worked with clay, so for all of you who are art students or I mean, please forgive me that I'll be, I'm, I'm just not going to describe this uh, well, but in the olden days, during Jeremiah's time, they actually had two stones, right? And the stones were connected by a wooden rod. So the bottom stone, they used their feet to turn, which turned the top stone, and the clay was put on that. Big lump of clay really pretty hard, pretty stiff. And so the potter worked it, kneaded it, uh, and by doing that, made it pliable. Wet clay is malleable. A skilled craftsman can shape it into almost anything. Just the slightest adjustment of the thumb or fingers changes the contours of a pot. And the potter has complete mastery over the clay. He can mold a vessel as the clay yields in his hand. Clay isn't made up of the most glamorous ingredients. It really isn't. It has to be shaped, molded, it has to be pliable. It has to be, become vulnerable, in a sense. It has to go through a process and be exposed to some harsh elements. I mean, especially if you put it in a kiln, expose it to fire. Clay can't be transformed into something by laying around as a lump of clay. It can't transform itself. And if you've watched any 
videos or seen any or worked with clay, you know that it's messy. Takes off a little clay, adds clay, adds water, gets it all over. And oh, by the way, footnote, that is not intimidating to God. Getting messy isn't intimidating to Him. He doesn't ask the clay to be something it's not before He works with it. One way or the other, we all will have to face our vulnerability, either by choice, circumstance, or consequence. All of us. And this parable, or this symbolic word that Jeremiah gives to to Israel, comes out of God's deep and urgent concern for us. Not because he's threatening Israel, that you're going to be uprooted and exiled and so on. It's because he's concerned. Which really leads us to the struggle that we face sometimes about the maker in me. Who he is and who we are. We have to come to some understanding of the relationship between God and us. In his hands rest all power rule, authority, kingdoms, governments, and dominion. I mean, this is not just an all-state commercial. It's not. And if you have any doubt about who God is, look at Isaiah 40, verse 21 and following. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches the heavens out like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground Then he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Says the Holy One. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. This is the potter. So when Jeremiah says in chapter 10, 23, a man's life is not his own, it's not for a man to direct his steps, it makes complete sense. The clay doesn't really have the right to question the potter. But we are deluded. I am. And sometimes... I act as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. And worse, sometimes I think I am the potter. Whether we think so or not, God is still sovereign. His sovereignty isn't contingent on our acknowledgement of it. And amidst our confusion and, and struggle... Just like with Israel, God continues to reach out to us. He says, 
in Jeremiah 31, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. In the well-known passage in Jeremiah 29, where God's plans are to prosper us, not harm us, give a future and a hope. It's really a plea from God that reveals his heart. It's about him. F.B. Meyer called the pot a, a, a memorial of the potter's patience and long-suffering, of his careful use of material, and of his power of repairing loss and making something out of failure and disappointment. God often makes something out of us what we do not have in mind. I have a feeling if I were the potter at the wheel, I would have probably done it differently. So the proper role of the clay is to trust the potter and to yield to his skillful hands. In fact, the clay benefits and gains from being in the potter's hands. I don't want the potter to be involved sometimes because I'm afraid, because I have lack of trust, because I can't predict the outcome, because I'm really not sure I can live up to my end of the bargain. By the way, the potter already knows all that stuff. The clay doesn't have to be anything it's not. So, a lot of you probably don't know me, or know me well, but you know, I, I kind of consider myself a handyman. I'm, you know, my dad was, um, and so he taught me, and I've learned from others, but I, I can do a lot of different things. I've worked on cars, I can do brakes. Uh, I'm a social worker by trade, um, but I can do brakes and radiators and suspension, and I've done oil changes and tune-ups. Um, I do a little plumbing. Um, basic carpentry, I can do fences and decks, roofing, I've done some concrete work, I've hung drywall. I, I really do like the physical work. And uh, when we built an addition some time ago, 15 years ago, and I hung all the drywall and, and uh, had somebody come in to finish it, and the, the guy says to me, did you have this done or did somebody else do it? Yeah, those of you who are chuckling already know. Yeah, because he knew I had done it from looking at it. It wasn't, there were just some things that weren't done quite right. By the way, I've injured myself more on all these DIY projects than anything else. I still have all my digits. You know, I haven't cut off anything. Um, but I am, I'm not a potter. While our lives are pitted with blemishes and impurities as clay goes, we are not all that easy to work with. The potter has intentions of preparing vessels for his glory and for his mercy.
1907, there was a song written, a um, very old hymn that you may know. It's called Have Thine Own Way. I don't know how many of you know that. Have Thine Own Way. Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Have Thine Own Way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I am waiting, yielded and still. We are all always going to be on the wheel. So the question is, if not in his hands, then whose hands? In the potter's hands, our lives and circumstances can be molded and remade. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're in exile. I don't know if you're in the desert. I don't know if you're up high on that hill. I am the clay. He is the potter. In his hands, great things await. So consider that his hands formed us out of dust. His hands made from dirt and saliva some mud and gave sight to a man born blind. And his hands were stretched out on a cross. His hands made us. They heal us and they save us. Let's pray.